This is a Sunday talk by Todd Corbett, titled "Truth Has No Name," recorded November twelfth, two thousand and six, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. This morning, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some exercises that we do, which we call meditation, and. So I'm going to forego the initial meditation, and then we'll do a few little exercises during the course of the talk. So I have a quote for you. It's a quote by Simone Weil, who's a Christian of the last century, and she writes: "We live in a world of unreality and dreams. To give up our imaginary position as the center." To renounce it, not only intellectually but in the imaginative part of our soul, that means to awaken to what is real and eternal, to see the true light, and to hear the true silence. So, what's she saying? She's saying that, among other things. By clinging to our imaginary position at the center, at the center of the world, it's me. We ignore what's actually here. We ignore truth. So this this imaginary center is the story of I, the story of me, me and my life. And when we have this story of me playing. Full force, the volume turned all the way up. We're not able to appreciate or even notice what's actually here. We know what's here. It's me and my world, me and my life. So I, the sense of I, is the veil. The veil to truth. And what's interesting about this I. Is it's totally imaginary, and it's being created moment to moment. It's actually not there, but it appears. It appears to be there, and that's that's really what fools us: the appearance. So she says. To give up our imaginary position as the center, to renounce it, not only intellectually but in the imaginative part of our soul. We believe that this is a water jug. We see it. A water jug, and in the process of making that designation, we come into being. It is separate from me. We don't recognize that me and the water jug are rising to the same consciousness. Because we've got this designation of me that is seeing this water jug. Is this a leaf? When we first look at this, we don't see a leaf. We don't know that because our attention doesn't let us know that. But when we first look at it, it's not a leaf. And then the mind comes in and goes, "Yep, that's a leaf." But that is a that is something extra, something that is added. This this is constantly moving, constantly changing. Even when it's held still, it's moving. It's constantly changing. There is no name for it because it actually has no form. 
It's always moving. Reality remains reality regardless of what we think about it. Now, our beliefs, our belief structures, are constructed around what we like and what we don't like. These, this liking and not liking, they are the function of this imaginary I. And so, it operates that if we like something, we see it in one light. And if we don't like something, we see it in another light. But it's the constant creation of likes and dislikes that kind of brings the world and we, we, we begin to then see the world through a certain lens. And of course, then there, there are the things that we're not really interested in one way or another. They're kind of neutral. We don't really notice them so much. So we have our likes and we have our dislikes. And really, it's not even about that so much. It's that we want to be busy. And this gives us something to kind of distract us. We want to be busy with something because there is some aspect of our experience which is troubling to us. And that is that when we stop thinking about things, we can't really find ourselves, And so the mind has become really good at thinking about stuff. We think about stuff constantly. And if you ever sit and meditate, try to quiet your mind, you'll notice it's just constantly going and going and going. It just keeps creating story after story, and they just sort of link up just goes on and on and on. There's a reason for that. Because whenever there's a space in there, we can look down through that space and see there's nothing here. There's nobody. We think ourselves, literally think ourselves into existence, moment by moment. Now, this, this nothingness that's here only appears as just nothingness to us because we're used to likes and dislikes. We have our preferences for things. And we're used to, we're used to looking at things through that lens. So what we see when we, you know, when there's this nothing, it's just kind of a vacuous, yawning, kind of very dizzying thing, which immediately the mind goes, well, I don't like that, and there it is. It's just filled it up. So it's very easy to fill it up. doesn't take a lot to fill it up. As a matter of fact, this entire open vastness is covered up moment by moment by these little dinky thoughts and emotions. So, how do we give up our imaginative perceptions at the center? How do we give up our sense of self? We can just decide, okay, I see the self is this kind of ratty problem, and I don't like it, and I want to get rid of it. So, <laughs> we know that's kind of goofy, because it doesn't really work. It's, well, we decide we want to get away from it. Who decided that? We keep creating self no matter what we do. Okay, I'm going to just ignore her. Who's ignoring? It's this kind of perplexing struggle that develops when we realize the self is our problem. But you see, it isn't really a problem for us. It's, it's the way that we are framing it, the way that we are approaching it, that is the problem. Actually, this, um, this sense of self 
is just a natural emanation of what is. It's, it's arising because it's conditioned to arise. And every movement that we make to try to get rid of it is just more of that conditioning. So what is needed is some kind of organized observation where we just observe the self. Now, I know that sounds like we're just the the self is observing. And initially, that's how it has to be. So you start out with an act of volition. You are... You know, you're striving to pay attention to the self. You want to see it. And at first it's very strained and difficult. But as we do this, we begin to notice the movement to try to meditate really becomes this big thing for us. And we start to pay attention to that we begin to notice how we suffer when we when we when we sit down to meditate how we struggle with trying to do the practice and we begin to just watch that and after we've done this for for a number of years we begin to really notice that it's it's just happening let's back up a little bit though because a lot of us haven't meditated for years and years Many people in this room have only meditated just a few times. And so it's very important, this early period, it's sort of like an incubation period. When we go to meditate initially, what we find, I remember very distinctly, we find boredom. Meditation is boring. Very boring. Boring. <laughs> At first, maybe we'll have some wonderful experiences. We'll sit down and it goes pretty good. Yeah, it was very quiet. Wow. And we'll, we'll have insights. But at some point, we get over the honeymoon and it's boring. Very boring. And when we cut through the boredom, what do we find? We find neurosis. <laughs> and this is the way it plays. We just go on and on with this boredom. Now, one thing that we realize early on, and, and, and it's helpful to have teachings and um, teachers that can kind of give you some, maybe a little guidance, but essentially we realize that we have to do all of this. If we want to do this this uh, practice, we have to do it. We can't rely on somebody else to do it for us. But what it comes down to with boredom is... The guy that wrote this book, Nagadpa Chogyam, said, um, boredom is one of the main defense mechanisms against enlightenment. <laughs> And the reason is that it, if you sit and you start to feel bored, what is it? It's a mobilization to do something else. It starts, it's a kind of a niggling, and it's sort of like an, kind of a restless thing. And before you know it, it's like you're looking at your watch, and you're going, oh, God, I got 15 more minutes of this. And that neurosis, you will feel this kind of thing just bubbling up. Now, the other side of boredom, and and really the value of this book and these teachings, is that although it may be this great obstacle towards enlightenment, it is also the gateway. It is the threshold to enlightenment. Because if you recognize this is actually pure, open, spacious awareness dancing for you as it arises. And you see it as just a dance in the moment-to-moment arising. All of your ideas about it will break apart 
and you will be experiencing the dance of consciousness. But as long as we continue to hold it as irritating, it will go on forever. It's just this irritation is a sign. It's, a, it's just a surface thing. And if you can drop down beneath the story that there's a problem, you will see that the boredom itself is energy. It is this energy that is dancing. It has no name. It's like the leaf. It has no name. And as you hang out with it, as it is with no name, you will begin to notice other things. You will begin to notice that there is a distinction between the energy and me. There's like a... There's a kind of a subject-object relationship somehow. But then when you examine that, you begin to see that that distinction is dancing in here just like the rest of it. And then you, you can't discriminate between the one that's aware of it and the energy itself. It's just one movement. So we use meditation as a tool to cut through our active inattention, basically. We're, we're not aware of what's here, and we're actively ignoring what is here. And so meditation is a way of cutting through the mind, the chatter, the stories, and letting us experience the energetic quality of being, which is always right here, regardless of what apparently is going on. But when we begin meditation, the very earliest stages of practice, we do what is what we refer to as concentration meditation. And really it doesn't mean concentration in the way we think of concentration. It's more a mindfulness um, being aware moment to moment, being aware of what's arising, and not the story particularly of what's arising, although that may be part of it, you see the story, but you're with what is there. So you begin to feel sensations. You begin to recognize all of the different sensations just arising and passing. But when we when we first begin our basic practice, Shamatha, as uh, Lem Rinpa, uh writes about in his book, there are other terms, uh, also Tibetan term is called Shine, it's a basic uh, concentration practice with a slightly different um, nuance to it. There are lots of different practices, all with different little nuances, but essentially they're all they all are doing the same thing. They're bringing the attention to a point of stability. And with that stability, that, that kind of unwavering quality, comes this clarity, this seeing what is actually here. We recognize what is here, not as an idea, but directly, immediately, in our moment-to-moment -moment awareness. So, I thought this morning we would take a few minutes and sit with a concentration object um, just, just for a few minutes, just to kind of get a sense of this uh, for the purpose of trying to clarify. It's much, much more useful to actually have direct experience for all of the things that I've been talking about. And so if you just uh, just sitting as you are, just let yourself um, just relax. And 
You can leave your eyes a little open, let a little light in. No need to fix them on anything in particular, just let them rest. Put your hands, say, in your lap, somewhere where they're not going to wiggle around and distract you. And essentially the instructions are for, for the meditation that we do here, we do a breath meditation. However, if you have a, another form of meditation that you're used to doing, feel free to do that. But we want to do a concentration practice at this point. If you do a mantra, that's also uh, can be a, a concentration practice. But most of us here seem to have gravitated to the breath, and the reason is that the breath is it's, uh, very basic. It's with you all the time. And it has a, this continuous movement. It also has some space where the breath ends, which is very useful. So wherever you are, you have this breath. And what we, what we do is we just find a place where it's most pronounced, either in the nostrils, the throat, the chest, the abdomen. And we feel it moving. And we don't get so much into the idea of the breath, but we feel the moment-to-moment -moment arising, the sensations as they're arising. And the mind will often kick out a thought. Thoughts arise. We notice the thought. And we want to just recognize thought and return to the breathing. But if we notice thought and then there's a little anger, notice the anger as well a little frustration. Notice that too. And then just return back to the sensation of breathing. I'm going to ring the gong once. We'll indicate that we're beginning. And twice to indicate that we're done. If you wish to follow our format, stop your player now and practice until you're familiar with these instructions. Then start your player again and continue with the program. Doing this little practice, if we just did it once, we would find that our mind would continue to spin stories of I. However, if we do it in a committed fashion, regularly, um, maybe five to thirty minutes once or twice a day, we would find that 
the mind would be settled down during that period and we would develop a a bit of more openness in our life that kind of can be reflected by the the sitting in stillness however when we first get started we may not believe that is possible because it seems to be this battle going on and really that battle as i mentioned earlier is not really necessary if we are committed to doing the practice if we really stay true to the instruction to allow to allow the breath just to be there and to stay with the breathing as it moves and then with whatever arises we just return to the breath after a while we find that that battle has diminished quite a lot so this process of of doing shamatha meditation concentration practice develops in us this mind which is more stable and which is more useful for observing what's here because normally you know the mind you look at something and before you know it you're you've got a thousand thoughts there and you're living in those thoughts you're not actually looking at what you're looking at you're looking at the images that you hold through this practice we can cut through our stories as i as i described earlier and we can be with what is actually here more and more so after we've developed our our ability to stay with our meditation object such as the breath or mantra or bodily sensations or what have you whatever you've decided uh to stick with um through your meditation and by the way you don't want to be flipping back and forth if you've decided on a meditation object at the beginning of the sitting stay with it don't don't let your the mind will <laughs> mind loves to play you know this is great and everything but i want to do this other uh kind of rarefied tantric practice now in the middle of the the concentration practice recognize that as thought and return to the breathing otherwise you're not really staying with the instructions after we have developed this stable mind this uh a mind that is more pliant and more relaxed and more capable of remaining with the object we can then decide to do different practices in which we examine uh different aspects for example boredom in the initial practice we're just simply recognizing sensations of boredom and we just return to the breath but after we've been after we developed this stability of attention then it would be very useful for us to at some point be doing practices in which we are looking at mind states we start out uh maybe for the first 5 minutes doing our concentration practice to allow it to settle and be more more focused more relaxed give us more space and then we can begin to look at say boredom and we can sink into the boredom and experience it moment to moment just as we do with the breath and it's very revealing when we do that without a stable attention however it can be just frustrating and we're not able to um appreciate what's there because the mind is constantly making judgments and we're not recognize you know it's like this sort of you're being hailed upon with all of these uh, images and stories and the attention just is not stable <coughs> it's not quiet enough to be able to do, to to work with energetic movements 
So it's highly recommended just to do, you know, and to do the, the basic concentration practice in itself is extremely powerful. We always think that we need to get that done so we can get on to the next thing. You see, that's just the mind. Actually, this, this breathing in itself, you can find the entire spiritual path right there. If you, if you stay with the breath and you feel the movements of the breath as they're arising moment to moment, we really can see that, that nothing is here. We, and actually, that can take us... It's like a microcosm of everything else. So just by being attentive to the breath, it's very powerful. So this is a kind of an interesting thing that comes up when we do meditation practice, and really the kind of the pinnacle of the whole, the, the, what we consider to be problematic about meditation, is we want something to happen. We want to get on with it. We have this sense that we want to just, you know, we want to do our practice, we want to get a stable mind, we want to wake up, we want to be enlightened. And the reason that that is problematic is that that's just the mind skimming along the surface. And we're living in that. Our desire itself is what we want to be with. So if we feel like we want to, we want to be awake, we want to wake up and be enlightened, that's just, you, you, can, you see the story, you drop down into the story a little bit and feel into the story Right beneath it, what's generating that story is this energy. And you allow yourself to feel into that energy. And what you find is it's not a, it's not a desire for anything. It's energy. And you see this and you're with it directly. And when you're there, that is awakening. That is enlightenment. It's, it's when we get caught in the idea of the leaf that we miss the leaf. We get caught in the idea of wanting to wake up. We miss the awakening which is now. This. This right here. This is all pure consciousness. Why don't we know that? Simone Weil said it perfectly. We live in this center of the world called self. And if we could but renounce it, we would recognize what is truly here. So with all emotions and all of our desires, aversions, we need to come to know them as they are. As they are, not as we think they are. And we find that the distinction is huge. What we think our emotions are is not what they are. But as long as we continue to reinforce it, we never can get beneath it. We never can see what's actually here. We need to practice being with what is. There's a Tibetan adage that goes something like, um, Meditation isn't. Getting used to is. Getting used to means getting used to not being caught up in your mind. You recognize what is here, already here. So this business of Belief about our world, if you look at beliefs, you can see that whatever you hold to be true, if you examine it through a stable awareness, you recognize it's a thought. And beneath it, there are energetic movements. And you can instantly, when you do this, you can instantly see that the thoughts are 
they're just one idea. There's many ideas that can bubble up out of this energy. But none of the thoughts are true. And if you look at the world, you see what this world is all just all these stories blossoming out of consciousness. If you drop down into any of them, you find just this energetic component. It's just this swirling play. There's nothing separate here. It's all one movement, one play. But unless we are willing to be uncomfortable and to experience our discomfort, we can't know the truth. Because our discomfort is hiding it from us. Our grasping at wanting things to be the way we want them is hiding reality from us. It appears kind of you know, almost diabolical in a sense, but it's really, when, we, when you actually do the practice, you find that, no, it's this incredible sweetness. Because all of our suffering, all of our discomfort, even physical pain, it's a difficult thing for the mind. But if you delve into it and allow it to be there on its terms, you find that it's the resistance to the pain that is most of the pain, and really all of the pain when you really stay with it. So these are challenges for the mind. When we do these practices, we are challenged by these things. Whatever I say up here, it's just a lot of chatter. It can bring you to the edge of the cliff, maybe. But you have to do the practice. You're the one that has to go sailing off of that cliff. Metaphorical. (laughs) (laughs) So, you are not your name. You know you're not your name, right? You're not your name in the same way that whatever you label in your life, whatever it may be, it's not that label, right? But if we live in our mind, we'll just stick another label on it. But if we feel into the experience of it, you will begin to find what is there. Now, when you think of yourself, me, you think of my life, they're all just thoughts, but if you just let yourself sit there and feel yourself there, what do you find right now? What do you find? Anybody have any comments about what they find? Not much of anything. Oh, <laughs> nothing? Yeah. Energy. Energy. What kind of energy? This kind of. Yeah. <laughs> we got thoughts in there? We're seeing thoughts coming up? We feel a certain way? Just the feeling of being in this room has a certain feel to it, right? I was once on a retreat with Joel, and he was pointing out these things. And I began to notice that just the slightest shift in my gaze, I felt totally different. I'd see there was a shadow of a leaf on the wall, kind of flickering. And I look at that shadow, and suddenly I just feel different. And then I let my eyes gaze somewhere else, and totally, it was a total bodily shift. And for me, that was a great breakthrough. It's this, 
we, we think that what we're looking at is separate from ourselves. We think, I'm having a reaction here because I looked at something there. But as you begin to recognize that there are no distinctions between what is looking and what, it, what is being looked at, you begin to feel the simplicity of what this is. That movement of the shadow and all of those sensations are all, this is all, it's all just this dance of consciousness. There's no, there is no separation there. So, it's kind of interesting because we have the opportunity, whenever we feel any particular way, to notice how we feel, rather than to put a label on it. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, we're mad, we feel angry, and we have this sense of just this rage kind of comes up, this anger. Now, if we recognize that as it's arising, and we don't just let it veer off into that insanity that it tends to veer off into, we will notice that it is, it is a clarity. There is a clarity that arises whenever it needs to arise. We're driving, we're in traffic, someone cuts us off, we have to like adjust or we'll hit him. And so there's a surge of energy. But immediately it goes into blaming. We're blaming that guy. But that's the story. And you see, that's extra. And it's suffering. Essentially, the process of becoming aware of our life, of events as they arise, as they are, rather than so much as our story. Not that we need to not have stories. The stories function for us. But it's unnecessary to lose ourselves in the story. We recognize that. When we begin to notice all of this, we begin to, we are, we are aware of what the Buddhists refer to as emptiness. We see um, the formless nature of form. We see the dancing of phenomena. We no longer see a hand as a hand. Now the image of the hand remains. But it's not a thing. And it's seen clearly that it is not a thing. It's flowing. It is constantly moving. The wall, constantly in motion. We look at the wall and we go, well, wait a minute. That's not right. It's not moving. Actually, the mind is working overtime to make it look this way. And in, as long as you're not aware of what the mind is up to, you're going to be lost in that perception of being it's being something solid and still. So just now... I'd like to ask you to do a little experiment. I'd like you to feel your butt or your back on your chair and just feel it. And notice what arises. We know that that's just our butt and our back on the chair, but that's just a story. Sounds arise. We call them sounds. Feelings arise. All passing through, moment to moment. 
never actually becoming anything at all. Notice thought. Bring up the thought of a friend. Where is this image? We go, well, it's in my mind. Thought. Where is the image? Anybody know where the image is? Good. <laughs> we don't know. This is part of our, our issue is we think we know. And when we think we know, of course, we're back in the mind. We're not willing just to be insecure. We're not willing to not know. But as long as we think we know, we can't be with the truth. The truth is not about knowing conceptually. The truth is about being. Being exactly what you are. The mind says, yeah, I know, I know what I am. But that's just a thought. Arising, passing away. What is left? That's you. No name. No definition. We can't know through thought. We think we can know through thought, but that's just a thought. <laughs> Who's having the thought? These are, these are questions that we can put to ourselves when we have this stable attention. Who's having this thought? Now, for those of us that have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, these things become cliches after a while. And part of the problem with cliché is that we're locked out. So we need to find what is immediate and true now. And even a cliché, if it is seen as it is arising in the immediacy of being, it's, no, it's not a cliché at all. Everything that arises is fresh and new. Now, there is nothing but what is here now. Nothing. So this is the flow of emptiness. That's what this is. It's flowing. Consciousness dancing. But we don't become vegetables. Everything happens all by itself. We can see that. We don't have to actually do anything. If you stay clear to what we've been examining this morning and you decide you want to examine volition, plop yourself down on the couch and vow to not move and see what happens. And you will see volition taking care of itself. The mind will say, Yep, I did that. I thought those thoughts. 
But where did that thought come from? We can never actually find the source of anything that's arising. And fortunately, the mind at some point begins to realize that. If it keeps looking. And the mind will then settle down and stop trying. This is just pointless. And in the moment that the mind lays down its tools and gets out of the way, truth shows itself openly. But yet we're still going to work, still breathing, Everything just unfolds perfectly. And there is a deep appreciation that is manifest through getting out of the way. Because now we're no longer struggling with what is. We're appreciating. We're being what is. We're open. So paying attention really is about just taking responsibility for your life. We're no longer blaming or making excuses. We're aware. And even the we are is too much. Awareness is happening. (laughs) So we've talked about emptiness and I just want to finish up by saying that ideas of emptiness don't help. We we need to know the truth ourselves. And the way we know the truth is we allow our attention to stabilize and we begin to examine. We develop a little bit of curiosity. Not a grasping curiosity, but a curiosity that is open, that is just curious, like a child. We just want to see what's here. We don't want to just believe stuff. Beliefs don't work. They don't help. That's everything I have for you. Are there any uh, questions or comments? Megan. Could you read that quote that you started out the topic? Yes. Simone says... We live in a world of unreality and dreams. To give up our imaginary position as the center, to renounce it, not only intellectually, but in the imaginative part of our soul. That means to awaken to what is real and eternal, to see the true light and hear the true silence. Any other comments, questions? Yes, Bill. Yeah, I was wondering, after you had your uh, initial direct experience of emptiness and a realization of the emptiness, uh, has there been a deepening of this? And um, another question, um, realizing that life is our practice, do you have any specific spiritual practices that you do now? It's definitely 
continues to deepen. I don't think there's an end to this process. I don't know if deepening is the right word, but I just noticed the, the, the clarity and uh, everything just seems to just keep opening up. As far as practices go, life pretty much shows itself, but I do, I love to sit and I love to, I love uh, just to be communing with stillness. So, I have a question. Yeah. Um, as you know, I'm sure, it's hard to breathe when you're thinking about breathing. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> when I did that practice, it was like, it felt like that really engaged my mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but in a, not a way that I wanted it to. It felt like it brought the mind and the play of the mind and the foolishness of the mind and the, oh, I'm breathing, I'm not breathing, I'm breathing funny, I'm breathing this. <laughs> just seemed to encourage the mind to get involved in things that I'm not interested in. We have the opportunity when we do this to see how we don't have any control over this crazy thing at all. It's just a spinning, it's a, it's a nightmare. You know, it's just, it's running, <laughs> it's running on its own. It's like on autopilot. The other part of it is that there's a reason why it's doing that. And this is, and even though we don't, you see, we don't want to look at that insane part of ourselves. Because it, it, it's like we, we want to feel better about things than that. that. That's distressing. But if we just let that play, you know, we just keep going back to our breath, and then the mind just keeps on distracting. It's an exercise, basically. After a while, you begin to notice that the mind does settle down. It, it's like it's trying to get your goat, basically. It's trying to, it's trying to get you to stop this or to just to meditation's not for me. And I've known lots of people that basically they say, no, I can't really. I can do tai chi or you know qigong. I can't just sit. And that may be true for some people. You know, it's, it's not cut and dried. But one thing about the breath is if you actually get off the label of it and you're just in the moment of feeling the sensation, the movement of the breath, it's not a breath. And you know it's not a breath. And the mind that's trying to tell you it's a breath loses the power because you're seeing what it is or you're seeing what it's not. You're feeling into this, and it's just this movement which has no name. And it's this that, you know, we've, we've gone our whole life with a breath, and we thought we were breathing. And so there's something about seeing that that puts us off. It's like, does this mean I'm stupid? You know, those kinds of thoughts will start coming up in the mind. But after a while, all of this stuff becomes juice for us. It's, it's food. Because what we see, we, when we have these feelings, then beneath the feeling of, oh, I don't like doing this. You see, that's just the story. And then beneath the story is the, is the energetic component of that. What did that thought come out of? And if you, if you get pretty quiet with meditation, you begin to see thought form. You see what it's forming out of. You begin to recognize what it is before it becomes a thought. It's an energy. It's a feeling. It's a movement of the mind. And as you trace it down, you get more and more simple with it. You begin to recognize that it is arising in space. You feel that. You, you, you know it directly. And so everything, whatever it is in the mind, is transformed into this energy. And through that process, you begin to recognize what isn't true. And the process of recognizing what isn't true brings us to the truth. That's another thought. <laughs> 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 Um, but you're not saying that this is the only way to get there.
No. Not everyone has to do this practice. Anyway. No. There's millions of ways. And so a lot of people I know do mantra practice, and that works. <laughs> the value of doing breath meditation is that it, it isn't breath meditation at all. It's sensation work. You're, you're working with sensation. And there are a lot of um, Buddhist practices of body scanning, where you just you sit and you allow your attention to move through the body feeling all of the sensations that are flowing in the body. And that's helpful also. And it's, it's wise when we first are, are learning to meditate to experiment with different ones and to see which ones maybe resonate or not. And then once we've done that a little while, it's good to, to decide on one and to stick with it, at least for a while. And then we, we deepen, and then maybe at another point maybe down the road, we may decide we want to try something different. But the thing about meditation is the mind will always throw something up. It, it's always, there's always something with the mind. <laughs> yes, Kiva. What I find, you know, in the practitioners group, we've been looking at our priorities, and I realize that my number one priority in life is comfort, and that. Um, beginning to get a, a, a small sense of the obstacle of that, that priority, and how in meditation, when I sit, the restlessness you describe comes up, and an anxiety, um, an open, vacuous kind of fear, you know, falling. Um, and it's very uncomfortable. And, and sometimes that's what propels me off the cushion, you know, and that's where the obstacle comes in. It's it's sometimes very hard for me to sit with that level of discomfort and anxiety. Yes. And, um, yes. you know, there's always something else I can do. Read the New York mm -hmm. Times or make coffee or, you know, mm -hmm. or my cat wants something. <laughs> there's always some little excuse that exactly. it's so easy exactly. to go with that. You know, one thing about this, the, the practice of meditation is that if, you're, if you find yourself immensely uncomfortable and you're often uncomfortable, it's very useful, very helpful to find some comfort because the comfort will give you the ability to relax the mind a little bit. So, I mean, even people that are on, you know, that have um, disorders such as... Uh, uh, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Sometimes these people need to be on medication. It's like kind of like in order to get the mind to where it can become serviceable, where, where it can settle down and focus, those medications may be really helpful to get to get us to this place where we are able then to to be to have a stable mind. So a little bit of comfort is not a bad thing. And then um, when you're sitting, sometimes if you're really having a struggle there, sometimes it's better to cut the, the, the length of your sitting down and really try to be with what you've got. You don't want your plate like overflowing. You know, if it's like really too much for you to sit, say, for 30 minutes, cut it down to 15 or even 10. I mean, whatever, you know, you, you adjust it. But decide on that um, beforehand. And I know for myself, I, I had a period of uh, all kinds of calamity for, I don't know, 12 years of someone close to me dying every two years. This went on for 12 years. And it, just as I was almost to the point of getting over the last death, there'd be another one. They were all very close people. And so it it created a lot of anxiety for me. And I remember taking, I would have these sessions where I was just so, just so wiped out. I would set my little timer for 10 minute sessions and I would have maybe three or four of them. I would sit for 10 minutes and I would really try to be focused during that 10 minute period. And there was just so much upheaval if I'd have set it for longer, you know, I would have just gone nuts and probably not practiced at all. So, so it was helpful for me to do that, and I would then, you know, get up between sessions 
and walk around the house and then come back and sit for 10 more minutes. I found that very helpful. If we have a lot of anxiety, we really have to work with it. And it's really important. Each of us has a, knows what we're capable of in that capacity. So, does that help? Yeah. Somebody else have their hand. Yeah. I'm kind of new to this myself, but um, when you talk about the word emptiness, that's the opposite of my experience. And I don't understand really the word because to me, when I go into the meditative state, it feels fuller. And I don't understand. I mean, yeah. There is something about your experience that's very true, because it is full. But what it's full of is not stuff. It's full of what's true. The emptiness is a good uh, term for what we're describing here. And the reason it's a good term is that we tend to think in terms of objects. We, we think that objects are something apart from space. And so when we actually look at an object and we see that it is in constant motion and flowing, we recognize that it isn't an object. And it's in that recognition that we see, oh, it's empty of that object. It's flowing. But your experience of fullness is actually pretty much right on because it is full. I mean, when you're sitting there, if you can't say that nothing's arising, right? Mm -hmm. Something's arising. We just don't know what it is and can't know. And so there's just this, this mass of energy and flow, this vastness of something. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Bill. I was just thinking, on the last retreat we went to, uh, Joel, you know, did a Janana retreat, and we did all of these exercises to demonstrate that um, everything that uh, arises is nothing but phenomena, either the five senses or thought that arises out of consciousness. And once you do those, then you really can, you know, see and, and get it. Well, at least I saw it and got it anyway. Yes. It's funny, it's like we, we the subject-object consciousness is always at play, and <clears throat> it functions for us, and it's not a problem. But it's really nice to actually see the context that it's arising in, and, and that's the value of, of awakening. And so you, you can then recognize everything is consciousness, that all of this that you see in your experience, it's only arising in your consciousness. There is no other consciousness besides your consciousness. And that sounds kind of retarded. But if you actually look into your experience, you'll find that that is absolutely true. It isn't like you know something. You're just recognizing what's here. And this whole idea of that we're looking out through little peepholes at a world of form is something that we were trained to learn from the beginning. It's just one piece of something, and because we have that one piece, it opens us up to tremendous suffering. Because now, we're a little, we're a person over here that's that's separate and suffering and alone and and gonna die. And with these practices, we begin to see that we. <coughs> are not that. We are basically, what we are is eternal. It doesn't actually live in time. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I think we'll draw this portion of the morning to a close and feel free to stick around and have tea and check out the library here. Peace to you all. <laughs>